I woke up to a very interesting email today. I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, first off, welcome to my channel and please subscribe if you haven't done so yet. And it's free. You just hit the button. It's not like you pay a subscription. It's just like you just follow me and then you get notified when I post a video. So what I woke up to today was an email and it was from change.org. And I do have an account with them because I started a petition last year sometime for some advocacy for safety at large music festivals and gatherings from around the world. With that said, okay, I get the spam emails. I don't really check them and I honestly maybe have never even noticed them before. Today when I opened my email, I saw one and I'm going to read it to you. I'm just like, is this meant to be? Because I want to incorporate the three things that I love the most to this channel, which are crafting, true crime, and raving. I It's what I do all the time, and it's all that I want to do, and I want to share it. I, okay, hear me out. I'm typically working on a craft while I'm listening or watching something true crime, and the craft that I'm working on is usually something that I'm taking with me to go to a rave. So in my head, we mash them up, we do it all together, and this channel will be mostly those topics. And who knows, I might get a new interest along the line because I have ADHD and a closet full of different projects and crafts that I've made my whole personality, and maybe we incorporate that too. But hey, for now, this is where we're at. So let me get to the email. Apparently, I don't know how to use email anymore. It's, I just slipped my mind. The email says tomviachange.org. A message from Currituck County Detention Center. And I'm like, okay, I know what change.org is. I know what a detention center is, but I do not know Currituck County. And I definitely don't know Tom. So I don't know. Like, I have 6,745 unread emails in this particular account, which is my business account. Why I clicked on this one? Couldn't tell you, but here we are. It says, Danny, my name is Tom and I've been incarcerated for two years. Despite there being a lot to complain about while I'm here, nothing compares to the pain I feel missing my wife and daughter. My heart gets torn more and more each day that I'm away from them. I'm grateful that I see them every three to four months, but it doesn't change the fact that the end of those visits, I have to stay here while my wife takes the eight hour journey back home with our daughter. I hate that it will be months until I see them again. Our daughter's second birthday is approaching. Since she's been in the world, she's only known me through countless phone calls and six in-person visits. I hear her growing up through the phone week by week, month by month. It's tough thinking about all the milestones I've missed. Her first smile, her first steps, her first words. Her first of many laughs, goofiness, cuddles, and everything she does. I continue to hold to the hope that I will be home soon to relish in all that I have missed. Through all of the heartache and distance, what keeps me fighting is my family. Honoring Franklin and being a loving husband to his mother, my wife, and an amazing father to his little sister. Any support means the world. With gratitude, Tom. And then a picture of the family. What? Okay, so obviously it speaks my interest. And I'm looking at this picture of this couple and this little tiny baby. It says 4th of July and totally looking average couple. What happened? It says more on the petition. Before we go to that, 25,000 people have signed it. I'm just so interested. Here we go. Tom and Laura M. Schweiler. Schweiler? I'm Schweiler? M. 
Tom and Laura lost their son, Franklin, to a tragic and sudden death while vacationing in the Outer Banks in 2018. Medical professionals initially misdiagnosed his death as shaken baby syndrome. Because Tom was the last person to see Franklin, all fingers pointed to him as the cause of death. There is overwhelming medical evidence that proves otherwise, as does a highly regarded pathologist in North Carolina, Dr. Mary Gillian. Three years after their son tragically died, and while Laura was seven months pregnant with their daughter, the family faced an impossible choice. Tom was facing life in prison without parole if he went to trial, which meant he might never see his family again. Rather than risk that, they decided they should use their Alfred plea to plead innocence of voluntary manslaughter, meaning he maintains his innocence while still pleading guilty. But if it's... But manslaughter is typically meaning you voluntarily killed somebody? Help. Make it make sense. Today, a year and a half later, we created this petition to ask for the public's help. No family should have to suffer one horrible loss like this, let alone two. The growing rate of falsely convicted crimes around the country is becoming more evident as authority figures are becoming more aware of it. Okay, it was always clear that there had been police and prosecutorial, like prosecutor, prosecutorial, prosecutorial misconduct against Tom. Our goal is to get the governor of North Carolina to commute Tom's unjust sentencing and bring this innocent man home to his family. If you'd like to learn more about Tom's journey, please visit innocentfather.com. What? This is out of a movie. This is a movie. This is the show, Outer Banks. Okay, so I don't know what to do with my hands. I have not been to innocentfather.com, but we're going. Maybe. Hold on. I just gotta. Hold on. We gotta. We gotta do this together. Shaken. Okay. Hopefully you guys can see this. Shaken baby. Shattered family. Compelled conviction. An innocent father who pled guilty to killing his son. I'm creeped. I'm freaked out. I'm creeped. I need to know everything. Also, why wouldn't he go to trial? Like, why wouldn't he? You know what I mean? If there's overwhelming evidence, like I get it, the court systems and they're talking about the prosecutor and the injustice, but voluntary manslaughter. Okay. We believe that there is no singular answer. Every little bit helps when it comes to making an impact. Join us in making Governor Roy Cooper aware of his unjust sentencing by signing the petition linked below. Okay, which we've we already read. So let's see his story. Oh, they got a whole ass breakdown. What did I stumble upon today? You know what's so funny? I've been like, like I said, I wanted to like incorporate more content like this into my personal channel besides my podcast channel, which is called It's Giving Sus, where we do all things um, mysterious, jaw-dropping, and trending cases, and scammers, and cults, and con artists, and, and all the above. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to take away from that, but I want to incorporate more of this into 
my personal channel because it is such a big part of what I do on a daily basis. And I wake up to this email because I've been like kind of just waiting for the universe to put the idea in front of me of like what I'm doing, et cetera. And it just popped up today. So whatever. Sorry, I'm off track, but I'm just excited that I'm like, I found something that I can kind of like incorporate with my channel and maybe even maybe even segue it over to the other podcast channel. I don't know. But my you you got my attention, Tom. A brief background of Tom the Accused. 34-year-old Thomas, better known as Tom to having friends and family, was born and raised in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and currently lives there. Having been raised by blue-collar parents, he had a normal childhood. He lived in a structured and disciplined family under the direction of his father, who served as detective for Defon County. His mother is a hairdresser who runs her shop from the home. The ability to behave in a respectful, responsible, and disciplined manner was always instilled in him. Shouldn't we all have that? These characteristics remained with Tom throughout his life. As early as 14 years old, Tom started working summer jobs and part-time jobs while he was still in high school. He graduated from high school as an honor roll student and continued to work through his post-secondary education. Throughout his life, Tom has had a commitment to financial stability and knew that hard work combined with self-discipline would provide a solid foundation for college. Tom earned his associate in automotive technology from his local community college, Harrisburg Area Community College, HACC. The skills of a mechanic are valuable, but Tom wasn't sure if that's what he wanted to do in life since he was always drawn to nature. He decided to transfer to Temple University to pursue a bachelor's degree in landscape architecture. He graduated with a grade point average of 3.2 in 2015. All right, I got some stuff to say, but I don't know. But I'm just going to be transparent with what I'm thinking. Okay. First paragraph, Tom, 34, blue collar parents, a normal childhood is the ability to behave respectfully, responsibly, and disciplined. Like, why, why you got to throw that in there? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's just like a normal, it's like the values that we hold as humans, right? I, I could be wrong. But anyways, first thing that caught my eye, he graduated with 3.2. So that's pretty good. That's like a B. So, okay, maybe that, that's good. Like, that's he is drawn to nature, so he gets this degree, and he's, like, working in this field. Upon graduation, Tom entered the workforce and worked for various landscape companies and firms. Then he landed a position at his current company, Bailey Landscape and Maintenance. As a landscape designer and estimator, in his role, he met with homeowners, contractors, hospitals, hospital officials, and school grounds. I'm getting twisted up because it's not adding up to me. Homeowners, contractors, hospital officials, and school grounds managers in order to plan and design their projects, as well as provide estimates. Tom would also supervise the completion of projects by managing multiple crews while accomplishing his own tasks on the job sites. Success he has achieved in life can be attributed to his commitment to hard work and education. I thought it was dedication, and now we're doing education. My next little thing to point out here is I don't like the wording because they're like, look how good he was. He met with homeowners, contractors, hospital officials, schools. Like, he must be a trustworthy guy, right? And like, okay, for example, I work at fast food and I I don't, but I have worked in restaurants and fast casual establishments. That would be like me on my resume saying I interact with people who are doctors and lawyers and politicians and teachers and nuns and ministers and whatever because they came up to the counter and ordered food. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm being a bitch. I don't know. Anyways, there's another page. Oh, another slide. Okay, so that was all about Tom. Got it. A brief history of Tom, Laura, and Franklin, the family. 
Why is it in quote? Oh my God. I gotta go. Tom and Laura met through mutual friends in 2009. As a result of their instant connection, a friendship developed between them. It didn't matter what path they were on, they were always connected. Tom and Laura became a couple in late 2016. They moved into their current home together. Career paths and college, they have supported one another in times of hardship as well as helped each other overcome obstacles. The two of them share an unbreakable bond, one that most spend a lifetime seeking. In June 2017, Laura became pregnant. As with any first pregnancy, there was both excitement and fear. The joy of starting a family with Laura inspired Tom to work harder and ease into the role of a father. In February 2018, Tom and Laura welcomed their son, Franklin, into the world. They raised him together as a united and loving family from that day forward. The family went everywhere together and did everything together. Whether it was doctor appointments, visits with friends and family, feeding, sleeping, changing, or any other responsibility they shared, they did it as a team. In all accounts, Tom was gentle, loving, caring, and committed father. Franklin represented his greatest joy in life. Okay, that's good. That's, you know, that's what you would want and expect from a partner. Again, with like the extra verbiage of like building up his character of like, they went everywhere together. They did everything together. Doctor's appointments, family, feeding, sleeping, changing, any responsibility. They did it together. Which like, it's a little bit bold, you know, like maybe it's exaggerated. Maybe it's true. If it's true, it's kind of crazy how he dedicated himself to work harder because the baby was coming and all of that stuff. And like, inspired Tom to work harder and ease into the role of father but then they're doing everything together like that's just not realistic there's not there's not a husband and wife who do every single thing together with their baby right like maybe I'm wrong I don't know we're on slide three what happened this is sad dude like look at that baby I don't even like babies I don't even like kids but like that's fucking sad too Tom and Laura had been invited to a beach vacation in Carolina. Oh, no. Sorry. <laughs> From the West Coast. Have been invited to beach vacation in Corolla, North Carolina with Laura's family. On Monday, July 9th, 2018, Franklin contracted an illness from his daycare. Laura and Tom left work to take Franklin to the emergency room at Penn State Hershey Med Center. They were informed that he showed signs of hands foot and mouth disease, or HFMD, with a 104-degree fever and were told to let the disease run its course and provide baby Tylenol to ease Franklin's fever and pain. Laura scheduled a follow-up doctor's visit that Tuesday, July 12th, to see if the vacation would even be possible. Franklin saw a new doctor, Dr. Dambra. After his examination of Franklin, he said his HFMD was one of the worst cases he saw. He advised them that they could go on the trip and Franklin would be fine. A what? He said it was a virus that would run its course whether they were at home or in Harrisburg or at a vacation in North Carolina. No. Just what? Tom and Laura both stayed home from work to care for their son together. During that week, feeding Franklin was a challenge. He threw up almost daily and sleeping had not been easy. Franklin started showing signs of improvement by the end of the week, so the family decided to continue their vacation plans. I'm going to need a timeline. July 9th, he has his first visit. Three days later, the 12th, which is a Thursday. He has another visit. Did it say the day that they were going to go to the vacation? Because if it's Thursday, don't most people go to vacation like Friday? And he was so dedicated to work. How is he not? You know what I'm saying? Anyways, I don't know. I'm speculating. It's just a theory. If they went to the doc the second doctor on Thursday, July 12th, Dr. Dambro, 
were they going on vacation Friday? So that would be a day after. And then it goes on to say, by the end of the week, so Friday, the literal next fucking day, right? Was I right? They decided that their vacation to continue with their vacation plans. So the day after. Like, just stay home. The beach is not going anywhere. Like, jeez. Tuesday, July 17th, around 3.30 a.m., Tom was asleep in bed next to Laura with Franklin in the pack and play. The sounds were soft but concerning, like a wounded dog calling for help. It was enough noise to wake Tom, who's a light sleeper. Tom picked up his son and took him out of the room so he did not wake Laura. He left the door cracked open and sat on the big red couch in the living room to try and figure out what was bothering his son. On the big red couch, like why? Okay, maybe it comes to play, sorry. Tom laid his left arm under his son's bottom and rested his head on his shoulder and patted him and bounced him gently. Okay. Franklin let out a burp, which seemed to give him some relief. This time, Tom knew he must be ready for a bottle. However, Franklin was still whimpering. Tom moved Franklin to his knees. His knees? His baby's knees. Probably his knees. Okay. And began bouncing him. Tom had done this bouncing motion many times before on his four-month-old son. Oh, we're getting into the shaken part. Damn. Franklin responded to the motion and began to quiet down. Tom thought he may be falling asleep. With Franklin's reflux lately, the family didn't like laying him down unless for sleep. They were afraid he may choke on his own spit-up if he was laying down flat. Tom placed Franklin with his back against the corner of the couch propped up between two big red pillows left for the kitchen and left for the kitchen to prep bottles. Okay, so this is what I'm envisioning. Like, I'm the baby, this is the back of the couch, and then, like, two big pillows propping me up so that I'm not laying on my my stomach or whatever, like they said. Because, okay, they didn't like to lay him down unless for sleep. They were afraid he'd choke on his own spit up if he was laying down flat. So... What do you mean propped him up with pillows? I don't know. I don't have a baby. Whatever. Okay. So he props the baby up, goes to the kitchen to prep the bottles. When Tom returned to check on his son, 10 minutes later, he found his son down in the pillow. What the fuck you mean, Tom? He immediately picked up Franklin and ran him to the kitchen for better lighting. Franklin's face had turned pale white and was starting to shade blue around the lips. The baby was limp with fixed eyes. What? How long does it take to do a bottle? Yeah, what? What? He was trained in CPR when he was in college and worked as a lifeguard. When he did this, Franklin responded. A milky substance flowed out of his nose and mouth. Tom cleaned it away and continued to administer breaths while wiping his nose and mouth after each effort. Franklin started to cough lightly. Tom didn't see any improvement, so he ran to the bedroom with Franklin in his arms to wake up Laura, screaming something is wrong with Franklin over and over. Laura flung out of bed, waking everyone in the house. Laura's sister immediately called 911. At the same time, Tom took Franklin back to the family room to continue CPR. Seconds later, Mike, Laura's brother-in-law, and EMT dispatcher arrived to tag team CPR with Tom. Deputy Hickman from the Curitic County Police Department responded to the 911 call. Deputy Hickman took over CPR and continued until EMS arrived. 
Number four, movement to end shaken baby syndrome. It's a bold claim. In the last 20 years, the pendulum has swung in the other direction on shaken baby syndrome. There now exists a rift in the medical community on the diagnosis validity. In 2008, a landmark decision came from the Wisconsin Court of Appeals, challenging the scientific reliability of shaken baby syndrome convictions. The case involved a mother of three named Audrey Emmons, serving 18 years after a child she was babysitting died after being in her care. The child had the triad of symptoms. The triad, it says, of symptoms. Brain bleed. I cannot. I cannot. I cannot. Brain bleed. Brain bleed. Eye bleed. And brain swelling. Based on the triad, she was charged and convicted for shaken baby syndrome. Audrey maintained her innocence through the entire time that she was incarcerated, which was over a decade. The Wisconsin Innocence Project heard about Audrey's case and took it over. Soon they learned that the medical examiner who had originally diagnosed the baby's death as shaken baby syndrome had changed his mind. His name was Dr. Huntington. What was the reason? Dr. Huntington had reviewed new medical literature which showed that babies could experience lucid intervals after trauma. In other words, babies who suffered trauma could go prolonged periods of time appearing normal, even if the triad of symptoms were present. Wait, babies who suffered trauma could go prolonged, could go prolonged periods of time appearing normal, even if the triad of symptoms were present. So the, the brain, the eyes, and the, what was the other one? Brain swelling, brain bleed, and eye bleed. So the baby could appear fine even after those things happened. But the symptoms would be present. So how would they be fine if the symptoms were present? You know what I'm saying? Or maybe it's just like on a scan. You see it, but the baby's like seems fine. I'm not sure. His takeaway was that it was no longer clear that the person who was in last contact with a dying infant was the one who caused their death. Uh, therefore, he was not convinced Audrey had anything to do with the baby's death. What? The medical research paper that Dr. Huntington credited for his change of position was written by Dr. Mary Gillian. Dr. Gillian was respected around the world for her, her ability to diagnose baby deaths. Weird flex. Over the last 50 years, she had specialized in the examination and diagnoses of thousands of infant fatalities. She's one of the most highly respected pathologists in history. After Dr. Huntington changed his opinion in Audrey's case, the Wisconsin Appellate Court reversed Audrey's conviction and ordered a new trial. My meds have kicked in. The court need nah, psych. The court noted in a decision a fierce disagreement and shift in mainstream medical opinion concerning, concerning shaken baby syndrome. It became clear that there was no longer a consensus in the medical community on the controversial diagnosis. Medical study after medical study was published challenging the long-held beliefs of shaken baby syndrome. By 2018, when Franklin died, a plethora of new explanations were accepted in the medical community as being capable as the cause of the triad. And most importantly, in Franklin's case, suffocation. So I'm guessing that's what it was ruled. Oh my god, I have five minutes. Let's see how far I got. Still, there was a very active portion of the medical community who remained loyal to the triad being a nearly undefeatable marker of abuse. When baby Franklin presented at the hospital in Norfolk, Virginia, his brain was swollen. He had retinal and subdural hemorrhaging. In other words, he had the triad. He was in critical condition and not expected to survive. Tom found Franklin face down in a pillow and unresponsive. He had no clue about the significance of that event. 
He was only being asked if something traumatic happened to his son. It hadn't. Tom and Laura tried to think of anything that could explain the injuries. Franklin didn't have a hard ball that they could think of. They didn't remember anyone being rough with him, like another child or at daycare pushing him to the ground. No, because he wasn't at daycare. He was homesick. They simply had no idea what happened to Franklin that would have caused the condition. Without an explanation for the injuries, the medical professionals defaulted to abuse. They would anchor their finding with the triad. All fingers were pointed at Tom, the last person with the baby, before he became unresponsive. Franklin died five days later. His autopsy listed abuse as the cause of death. Yo. All right, well, I got to pause and we'll be back with slide number five, which is, let me show you. I'm using my knee as a mouse pad, so not the most accurate here. Um, yeah, so part five, two versions of events, each with the same tragic outcome. Yo, I was not prepared for this when I woke up today. This is why I don't check emails, but here we are. 